Good morning. It is a privilege to be back with you again and uh, to share some time together uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, it sort of goes without saying that I think we all wish Dr. Toussaint was here and speaking, but uh, it's a privilege to come and share the Lord's Word with you this morning uh, in light of the circumstances and to uh, share some time together. So uh, uh, Vanessa and I are very, uh, very privileged to be here this morning with you. Thank you for having us. Um, I, I've been giving some thought over the last uh, weeks, of course, with us celebrating Christmas and the new year as to how the celebration, the Christian celebrations have really shaped uh, our world, have shaped uh, this nation, uh, the fact that we have things like Christmas holidays and, uh, and uh, time off at, at that time and, and, and even some of the challenges that our society is facing as many want to remove Christian information influence from society. Uh, uh, there are those who want to say Merry Christmas and others want to say Happy Holidays as a way to try and de-Christianize the, the, the Christmas time. And, and I was thinking about what God says about that, thinking back in the Old Testament about uh, God and his people, the nation Israel, how he shaped uh, everything about their lives. He shaped their diet with what they could and couldn't eat or should and shouldn't eat. He, he, he shaped their calendar as to when they were to uh, worship him, the necessary uh, festivals that they were to hold and uh, the prescriptions as to how they were to go about uh, uh, worshiping God, uh, uh, confessing their sins and, and those various things. Uh, he shaped uh, every part of their relationships. He, he shaped uh, how they were to handle their finances. His, his uh, uh, word provided them uh, uh, insight into all manners of living, how they were to relate to the nations around them and, and so on and so forth. And, and so I was thinking as we sort of start a new year as we would think about what does God say uh, about the new year and, and, and about what we are to think and, and how we are to proceed in, in some ways it's just like last year, right? I mean we carry on doing the same types of things over and over and you could make an argument that very little changes as you go from year to year. And yet even in our culture, the, the New Year celebration uh, among some is very, very important. And it's a time of, of celebrations and parties and so on. And yet it seems that the world doesn't have much to offer in the way of insight into the New Year. You can watch the big programs on TV and, and the countdown, of course, in New York City till when midnight hits and this big lit up apple uh, falls uh, down this pole and... I don't know what else happens if the big apple falls down the pole and we're supposed to be excited about that. It doesn't explode or anything. It just kind of comes down and then there's some fireworks and everyone's cheering. And, and, and what are we cheering about? What is it that we're supposed to, to think about? And as believers, uh, what is it that, that God is, is, is showing us or giving us or what guidance would he have for us? So my plan for this morning is to look uh, a little bit at the Old Testament and some of the instructions that he's going to give ancient Israel for talking about the new year and what insight we can see there. Uh, next Sunday when we're together, I'm going to do a similar thing primarily from the New Testament. So if you were hoping we were in the New Testament this morning, we can come back next Sunday and uh, you'll see that we'll primarily be there. This, this Sunday will be primarily in the Old Testament. 
And I should probably say, as we look at some of how Israel celebrated uh, some of the festivals and the issue of the new year, uh, the goal isn't to sort of reminisce about, oh, the good old days, if only we were like ancient Israel or or something like that, Uh, nor is it to say that, boy, we need to carry on all these ancient festivals, these Jewish festivals, just like they did in the Old Testament. Uh, Neither of those are the points. Uh, Rather, our purpose is to get a, a, a glimpse of what God wants for his people. So as we're looking at God's prescriptions for his people, we're getting a glimpse of of God. And so in getting a glimpse of God and what he desires, I think there's going to be some insight as to how we can think about this new year and and us as individuals, uh, us as a body of believers, the uh, the marathon class, Stonebriar Community Church, and, and, and how we are to think about this coming year, what God would have us uh, think and do. So that's our purpose. Um, we do have a little outline, uh, very basic in your, in your handout. It is not on the first page. It is on the uh, second page, I believe. And so if you're interested in an outline, uh, there is one there. Excuse me. And uh, we're going to look at uh, primarily some passages in uh, Leviticus and Numbers. I know probably not the most uh, common books to study, but uh, hopefully there will be some uh, insight in them that will be uh, helpful for us. So I begin with uh, the very first command, and you don't need to turn there. If you have your Bibles, you can make your way to Numbers chapter 29, the book of Numbers 29, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to begin in Leviticus just briefly at the first mention of this festival that God uh, tells Israel, his chosen people, that they are to celebrate each year. And then we'll uh, focus in on numbers and see if we can uh, make some sense of what is going on. Just to kind of remind you of the context as we look at the book of Leviticus, or as I read just a couple of verses from Leviticus before we get to Numbers, uh, God has created this chosen people. He's created a people from uh, Abraham and Sarah. Ultimately, their offspring has led into the building of this people, this nation called Israel. Uh, You'll remember that they find themselves at the end of the book of Genesis, uh, going down to Egypt because of the famine in the land. You'll remember Joseph had been sold into slavery and had uh, found himself there already. And uh, between Genesis and Exodus, some 400 years elapsed, and the people who had gone down to Egypt, which was really a family of 70 people, uh, becomes a nation. And God had richly blessed them over those 400 years. And God raises up Moses now to deliver them from Egypt, who had ultimately enslaved them and take them towards uh, the promised land. Well, the book of Leviticus is along that journey, that journey towards the promised land. God, of course, had miraculously delivered them out of, out of Egypt through the Exodus, and of course the, 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 the primary miracle being the dividing of the Red Sea that the people could walk through, and then of course the closing of the Red Sea on Pharaoh's army, which was uh, pursuing them. And, and so they've made their way to Mount Sinai, where God has given them the law, and then we're getting some more details in the book of Leviticus as to, uh, as to the nature of the law. If you ever read the book of Exodus, you'll probably enjoy the first half. It's very engaging as you see the life of Moses and the the story of the ten plagues and ultimately the deliverance of of Israel out of Egypt and and towards the promised land. And then you get to the second half of the book of Exodus and and you get uh, this command that God had gives his people to, to build an elaborate 
tent called a tabernacle so that God can dwell among his people. And you get, you get page after page of details as to how the tent is to be built and then how the Ark of the Covenant, this, this holy box, is to be built and how it's to be handled and so on and so forth. And, and you see that God wants to dwell among his people and yet there's lots of requirements for God to be able to do that. The, the type of tent that's going to represent his presence, the type of box, the Ark of the Covenant that's going to represent his ultimately his Shekinah glory and the way that he will lead his people. And the book of Leviticus kind of carries on with that idea of how do sinful people relate to a holy God. And so many don't enjoy the book of Leviticus because it's a lot of rules and regulations on how sinful people can deal with their sin so that they can relate and connect to a God who wants to dwell among them, if you will, a God who wants to dwell uh, in the tabernacle. And in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, uh, we read from verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of rest. A sacred assembly commemorated uh, with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present offering made to the Lord by fire. That's it. You get no other explanation. Chapter 23 is a whole list of several festivals and celebrations that Israel is supposed to uh, celebrate. If you want to understand a little bit about Israel's calendar in the Old Testament, they have three major festivals in the spring and three major festivals in the fall. And this, the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, they're to celebrate with this, this day here. It's a day of rest. It's a sacred assembly, uh, and it's celebrated or commemorated with trumpet blasts. And this is eventually going to become known as the, the Feast of the Trumpets, this commemorated by this trumpet blast. And yet the book of Leviticus gives us no further definitions, no further explanations as to what this might mean. It just merely says that, what I just read, and it goes on to other things. And so we get further explanation when we get to Numbers 29. So if you have your Bibles, Numbers chapter 29, just the first six verses, and we'll see if we can start to get some insight as to what this means and what they are to celebrate and, and commemorate and why the trumpets and so on and so forth. Numbers 29, um, and again, I should just say when we're in the book of Numbers, we're still on the way to the promised land. It's in Numbers where uh, they get to the promised land. You'll remember they'll send in spies to sort of uh, inspect and discover the promised land. They had never been there. It had been over 400 years by this point since uh, since uh, uh, Isaac and then Jacob and, and his family, Joseph, ultimately had lived uh, in the promised land. And so they send in spies, and you remember the spies come back and they report, you know, the land is is full of bounty and, and is good, but it's it's got walled cities and it's got very large people, and, and so ultimately the Israel does not trust God to deliver them in the promised land, and so they end up wandering for 40 years, and all of that is in the book of Numbers, and, and, and this is after the wandering, but not yet into the promised land, so it's kind of a, a very slow book on the way to the promised land with uh, a lot of Israel's unfaithfulness. Numbers 29, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, offer a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. Uh, with the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an, an ephah, 
of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, with the ram, two tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Uh, These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and drink offerings uh, as specified. They are food uh, offerings presented to the Lord as a pleasing aroma. So as you can see, we get a lot more detail there, uh, of which almost none of it is very helpful to understand what exactly does this mean. We get, we get no explanation. What, what are they thinking about as they're doing these things? We can get some understanding of what a day of rest is, um, but it's so normal in our culture, we probably have to think a little bit back into the ancient Near East where primarily everyone is a subsistence living, which means that they're trying to earn and make enough for that day so that they can be fed for that day, so that they can feed their families for the day. Uh, uh, agriculture, uh, uh, most people are involved in agriculture and trying to grow enough, trying to get enough, trying to sell enough so that they can sell their things that they grow to buy the other things that that they don't grow to to make some kind of a a balanced meal and so on and so forth. And so in the ancient days, a day off is really, really challenging uh, because will we get to eat? I mean, will we make it? It's, if things are that close, the line is, is that tight at that point. And so this is to a day, this is to be a day on the first day of the seventh month when they're to stop. And you might be thinking about this and going, well, I, I thought we were going to talk about the new year. Why would we talk about the first day of the seventh month being the new year? Well, Israel is running with two different calendars, and that might sound funny, but it's sort of what we do, and I'll explain that in a moment. Um, this calendar the, uh, the, the, is the start of the agricultural year, and so if you think about people who are primarily living off the land, a, a yearly cycle is about preparing the land to plant your crops. Or, or preparing if it's trees or, or, or whatever, if it's fruit that you're growing or whatever. And, and then it's, it's going through the, the planting process and so on. And then it's, it's waiting for the appropriate rains to come at the right time and so on. And, and then it's the harvest where you kind of get to see how did you do that year. Does that make sense? That harvest becomes sort of the, the natural ending of the year because then you start the process over of getting things ready to plant the next crop for the next year. And so harvest marks the end. And so the seven Seventh month is in the fall on the Israelites' calendar, and that marks the end of the harvest. And so they kind of have a, a civil calendar, and then they kind of have a religious calendar. And it's not that different from, for example, Stonebriar. Uh, we all know January 1st is the first of the year, and January is the first month, and so on and so forth. But most of the programming for the church actually revolves around the start of the school year, right? So kind of September, all the Bible studies kick off and all the regular sort of programming, and then generally we take a break for a little bit over Christmas. We start everything up in January, and then over summer, we kind of see that as the ending of the year when often people are away on holidays and so on, and, and then it's kind of end of August, September, we start again, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a year on the calendar, but it's kind of the way a, a school works, it's the way most churches work and so on. And so for Israel, it's exactly like that. It, it, it isn't that different. They, they have a calendar year, but the first day of the seventh month is the beginning of their new year. As a matter of fact, the, the celebration becomes known in Hebrew as Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year, the first of the year, the head of the year. 
So at the first of the year, at the head of the year, after they've just taken in their harvest, after they've completed that, they're supposed to take a day off. That's, that's the first thing that we see on the first day of the seventh month, hold the sacred assembly and do no regular work. So they're supposed to come together and they're not supposed to work. <clears throat> It's a day for you to sound the trumpets. Now, I, I, I was just intrigued by this, and so just, just to get a general survey here, and I don't know if you all know each other well enough, who sounded trumpets this year on January 1st, was involved in trumpeting in some form? Oh, just, yeah, good. L little one, little one, the doot, that one. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. What, what, what does it mean? And so this is always the challenge when it comes to scripture. We know what it says, right? They, they should sound trumpets. But the question is, what does it mean by what it says? What are they picturing? Why are they sounding trumpets? We can think of trumpets and we can think of things like, well, we use those as celebrations or when we have our full orchestra playing, then often there's trumpets there and, and on, on, on big grand uh, um, anthems, we'll get, we'll get a, a trumpet part and so on. I mean, we, we can make all sorts of inferences by seeing trumpets. But what did it mean to them? What were they sounding the trumpets for? They're taking a day off work. It's the first day. It's the head of the year. It's the new year for them. And, and, and so what does it mean that they're to sound the trumpets? Well, you have to kind of get back into their frame of mind. When have they encountered trumpets before? And, and the encountering of trumpets before for Israel will help give us some insight as to what they're supposed to remember each year. So if you can make your way backwards to Exodus 19, I want to show you where they first encounter the trumpet and what's going on there. Make your way back to Exodus chapter 19, just briefly, and we'll, we'll go back to Numbers 29 if you want to mark it somehow. Exodus 19. Again, we're simply asking the question about this trumpets. Why are they sounding trumpets, or, or what does that mean? Um, and so we'll find this first encounter in Exodus 19. Again, uh, Exodus is when they're being delivered out of Egypt. You remember they had been there uh, for some 400 years. Along the way, they had become enslaved. Uh, the Pharaoh had worked uh, uh, Israel very, very hard because God had blessed Israel. And Israel had been, had been uh, growing and, and uh, uh, been very, very fertile. Uh, uh, the land had been fertile and they had become wealthy. They had become uh, a, a huge people. And and uh, God had blessed their multiplication. Maybe that's the best way to say it. And so the Pharaoh ha had feared that one day the people that are living amongst them would be more powerful than the Egyptians. And so he had enslaved them. God had raised up Moses to, to set them free. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 19, we find ourselves now uh, being set free from Egypt and on the way to the promised land and on the way they encounter Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where uh, Moses at one time had been a shepherd tending sheep where he had encountered God before. And God had told Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver uh, my people Israel uh, out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. And one of the signs that you'll have for this is one day you will bring all those people here. And now in Exodus 19, they just arrived 
here at the base of Mount Sinai. And if it's helpful to you, Exodus 20 is where they're going to receive the Ten Commandments. So we're on the verge of receiving the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure they knew that, so they didn't get to read ahead. But, but, but sometimes we do. Uh, just briefly, in, in Exodus 19, verse 1, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. Okay, so this is three months, the first day of the third month after having left Egypt. They're at the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Raphidim, uh, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called uh, to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. Israel, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. It's another way of referring to them. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God is speaking metaphorically. He did not carry them on eagles' wings. He actually chose to part the Red Sea and let them walk through themselves. And then, of course, to close the Red Sea on the army that was chasing them. But that idea is, I took care of you. I I saw to it that you were delivered. And so you have this, this language that helps us to picture the event is the crossing of the Red Sea or the dividing of the Red Sea and crossing it on dry land. The imagery is it's like being delivered on an eagle. Literally, like I picked you up and plucked you out of Egypt's hand, and now I'm now you're 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 getting to see my very presence here at the at the base of this mountain. So again, verse four: You have seen what I did to Egypt, the ten plagues, the closing of the Red Sea on their army, and how I carried you on on eagles' wings and brought you brought to you. I'm sorry, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, and if you keep my covenant, then of all nations. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of representatives, if you will, people who will represent the other nations to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So you get the picture. They come to the base of the mountain. God calls Moses up from the mountain. Moses goes up and it's not exactly clear how all this is going. The people are at the base. God gives instructions to Moses. Moses is to go down and give those instructions to the people. And so uh, some of this is going on. And then God is warning Moses to warn the people they're not to go up the mountain. They're not to touch the mountain. Their livestock is not to touch the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. Don't let anyone touch the mountain. Don't let anyone go up the mountain. That's my way of summarizing. It actually says it six times. I think I only said it four, so that's my summary. But, but, but we, we, we get all these warnings about God is on the mountain, and, and, and they are to stay back. The people are to stay back here. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, so this is two days after verse 1 of chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and there was lightning. Okay, these are exposed people. Okay, they don't run into their houses and go, oh, it's lightning out. I think I'll stay inside. They are making a journey from Egypt to over there, right? I mean, they don't even know where over there is fully. They've never been over there, but they're making their journey. They're exposed thunder. So just think about that. They're fully exposed thunder and lightning, what that must be like. A thick cloud comes over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That's their first encounter of the trumpet. 
As a matter of fact, we have to be a little more specific when we talk about the trumpet because there's really two kinds of trumpets that are presented in the Old Testament. One is a shofar, which is essentially a, a horn from a ram. You know, rams have those curly horns and, and, and ultimately those horns can be turned into uh, uh, something that you can blow. Uh, a ram's horn would, horn would be common and it would not take a lot of skill. You kind of pucker up your lips on it, you give it a blow and, and, and you can make a noise with it. Okay. The other kind of trumpet that you hear uh, or that you encounter in the Old Testament are silver trumpets that are used uh, first in the tabernacle and then ultimately in the temple uh, by priests for certain worship and sacrificial things. And so silver trumpets, I mean, how many here have a silver trumpet? Exactly. They're, they're less common, right? It doesn't mean you couldn't have one, but primarily trumpeters would have trumpets, right? I mean, people who play the trumpet. And, and so you have silver trumpets, which are kind of elite and special, and you have the shofar, which any old person could have. Anyone could come across a ram's horn, put it to their lips, and blow it and make a sound. This is a shofar. This is not a silver trumpet. It's not something special. It's not something for a ceremonial worship. This is the image that Israel has when it thinks of the trumpet blast. Okay, let me read it again. On the morning of the third day, verse 16, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, um, <clears throat> excuse me, over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire, and the smoke billowed up from it, smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Get the picture? I mean, I mean, this is, in the truest sense of the word, an awesome encounter. The people, having been delivered from Egypt, are now encountering, in a very physical, tangible way, the God that delivered them. And so it is a trembling, terrifying, trumpet-blowing, mountain-shaking, hail, thunder, lightning, fire, and smoke encounter. That's what it's like. And so God says, at the head of the year, at the first of the year, sound the shofar, blow the trumpet. And it's interesting because back in the Old Testament, Israel was to remember their God. And it's very easy for us as New Testament believers who, who already know of Christ and his first coming and are anticipating his second coming. It's easy for us to see, you know what? When we see what God has prescribed to ancient Israel, his people, it's not that hard for us to go, you know what? That might be helpful for us in the new year to consider God. And, and, and that's really what happens when God asks people to stop working. It's stop working and, and take time to think about me. They were to blow trumpets, shofars, regular people blowing ram's horns, making noise, remembering the encounter of their God. And, and in, in my study and thinking about some of these things, it's like, well, that's helpful for us too. I mean, isn't it helpful for us to just take a moment and think back to 2016, the year that has just completed, and, and to think back of our God? 
how hard, how God has led you and guided you through that year, some of the challenges you faced in 2016, some of the unknowns that you had in 2016 that are, are now known, some of the trials that you faced that God saw you through in ways you hadn't expected. I mean, isn't it helpful just to stop and to consider God? It's interesting, I kind of think about how our culture celebrates the new year and the parties that they have and, and so on. And, and it's a lot of filling yourself up with, with everything but. I mean, it's kind of like, let's forget the old year and let's get on and, 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 and those kinds of things. Uh, often people uh, uh, overindulge on, on a New Year's Eve, New Year's Day celebration. And God is saying, no, no, on the first day of the year, blow the trumpet. Consider me. Consider what, what I have done. In other words, there is a sense that we go back and we, we consider. And, and maybe I shouldn't just say consider. Maybe I should try and build it out the way they were called to do it. We consider and we tremble. We, we, we tremble that we are people in God's hands. And that's the idea. God is trying to remind, because it's in, in the ancient Near East, in, in, in the Old Testament times, believe it or not, people forgot about their God. And if you want to imagine what that's like, you just have to live in our culture where people forget about God. Or you could even go to believers who from time to time we forget about God. Think more about ourselves, our own situation, our circumstances. Our worlds get full, right? Whether you're older or younger, we fill up our days and our world gets full of all sorts of things that can move us away from thinking about God. And God says on the first day of the seventh month to ancient Israel, he says, blow the shofar. Stop and tremble and remember who God is. Stop and remember God's faithfulness. And so we start to get some images of what's going on. This isn't the only mention of trumpets, but it's the first. And so trumpet blasts have this idea of, of calling to attention. And they sort of do in our, in our um, uh, situation here. Imagine if just before uh, I came up to speak here this morning, after uh, Pastor Taylor had just finished praying, we had three trumpeters come up and do 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 right? And then I come. Get your attention. Probably you'd wonder whether we'd necessarily have to have this guy back next Sunday and, and so on. I mean, what, what, why would he need trumpets to come up? But th th they are attention grabbers, and, and that is kind of the idea. Kind of a stop, let's rethink things for a moment. And it's, it's part of what it means as a believer because we look at the same world and the same world uh, th that an unbeliever lives in, we look at it differently. If I can say it this way, we look at it Christianly. Give you an illustration. Uh, af after a rain, we might look and we see a beautiful rainbow in the sky. And our neighbor, who knows nothing of the Lord, sees the exact same rainbow, right? And we can look at the rainbow, our neighbor, our unbelieving neighbor can look at the rainbow, and, and we might say something like, oh, it's so beautiful, and our neighbor would say, absolutely, what a beautiful, gorgeous rainbow. We're looking at the exactly the same thing, but we're looking at it differently. Because we as believers are remembering that after the rain, the rainbow is the sign that God didn't have to stop the rain. He could have just let it rain and rain and rain and rain until the whole world is flooded again and we're all dead. There would have been nothing wrong with that. But he says, no, I'll never do that again. 
and I'll give you a sign. And so believers look at a rainbow and remember that there is meaning in there. It is a reminder from God that he said, I'll never flood it again. I stopped the rain. I sent the rain and then I stopped it. Sometimes it's for an hour, sometimes it's for three days, sometimes it's for seven days, but it always stops. And so we look at the same world differently, and that's part of what God is saying. It's the reminder to stop and kind of consider. That's the first thing that we're sort of seeing, stop and consider. The trumpet, it plays an interesting role. Let me read you another passage, Leviticus 25. Uh, It says in verse 9, Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of the atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one is to return to his his family property and each to his own clan. And and that's the idea of this fiftieth year of jubilee and it's celebrated with a trumpet blast. It's interesting that we get a little insight into this seventh month because it happens to be that the seventh month is a month that has three festivals in it. The year that the, the first day of the month is the one that we're talking about, the Feast of Trumpets, on the first day, but on the tenth day is the Day of Atonement. And if you can remember what the Day of Atonement is, it's the day when there's a special sacrifice uh, given that the high priest is going to eventually, once the tabernacle has been built, and by Leviticus, of course, it's been built, the tabernacle, uh, the high priest will go into the tabernacle following the appropriate prescriptions and, and give the appropriate sacrifice that's yearly for the sins of all the nation of Israel. And, and, and they are atoned for so that they can come forward. So the day, the Feast of Trumpets is on the first day, the Day of Atonement is on the tenth day. Okay, so there is actually going to be a connection to those, and we'll look more at that uh, next week as we look into the New Testament. But nonetheless, the Day of Atonement is going to be marked by sounding of trumpets. What does it mean? Stop. Consider. Tremble. Think about the very presence of God. And, and, and that's the idea. Uh, later on, the prophet Joel will write, Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy flat fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people and consecrate uh, the assembly. Uh, a passage in Joel chapter 2 very, very well may be referring to this same feast of trumpets and, and, and the idea of blowing the trumpet and getting people's attention. Call them together to remember their God. And it's interesting because part of the thing that we need to remember each year is we continue to forget about God at points in our lives. Or, or forget about God as we think about the directory, the director, I'm sorry, the, the direction of our nation. And, and we wonder, uh, how is it going to work? And, and who, can, who can help us? And, and we look to things other than God. And so this is a way of a reminder. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that Israel was called to celebrate the first, or the new moon of every month, the first day of every month. And you know what they were to do? They were to celebrate it with the blowing of the shofar. And so I looked up in some of my ancient Jewish tradition sources, this is not in the Bible, but it seems that they primarily on the first day of each month blew really short little kind of staccato blows with their shofar, you know, the little toot, 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 that, that, that type of thing. And then on the first day of the seventh month, then they blew it a long time, then long drawn out blows. 
In other words, there's almost like each month it's a reminder to, to remember God. And then there's this, this grand uh, celebration and grand solemn assembly of, of coming together and remembering God in these, in these well-developed um, uh, uh, trumpet blasts and, and declaring of, of, the Lord's, uh, of, of the Lord's word here. Um, th- there are several other passages in the uh, uh, Old Testament that talk about trumpets and so on, and, and often with them, and we'll see this when we get back to Numbers 29, go back there, Numbers 29, we'll see that something is tied to this getting your attention. On the first day of the seventh month, Numbers 29, verse 1, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It's a day for you to sound the trumpets or sound the shofar. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, offer burnt offerings of, and then we get this long description of the different burnt offerings, which animals, and, and notice that anytime you know the age of the animal, it's always giving you the value of an animal. Okay, so if you have to raise an, an animal to one year old, that means you invested one year of labor, one year of feed, one year of time to care for that animal, and so it has a large value. If you have to sacrifice a three-year-old animal, then you've put in three years of, of work to, to raise that animal only to sacrifice him. So what we see when we look at this list, this seven uh, a bull, and, and uh, we see here seven lambs uh, uh, being sacrificed with, with no defect or so on, this is a costly sacrifice. I mean, that's, that's easy. This is going to be significant. It's a communal. It's not that each person is providing this. This would tend to be more than any one person had. Um, but it would be, I, I guess, other than, you, you know, a, a real wealthy, like a Job-like person. So, but, but you can see that, that the sacrifice is significant. And that's part of what we're getting here when we, when we see the details of the sacrifice. And what are sacrifices for? Well, for sin, for atonement, for making things right. I mean, there's a way to get around the sacrifice. When, when you are guilty of sin, you can present the appropriate sacrifice as God has ordained, or you can just pay for it yourself with your life. Because that's the only thing that can atone for sin. Sin needs to create separation from God, and that's ultimately what death is. And so you can atone for it with your life, or you can atone for it, if you will, ceremonially with the appropriate animals and grain offerings, burnt offerings, and so on and so forth. And so there is a sense that God is calling Israel every year to get their attention, to sound the shofar, to to have them tremble before them, and then to recall their sin to think back on their year, and to remember their sin. And if you think about this, it actually is an important thing that, at least I can't speak for you, but I'm not sure I do it enough of. Imagine me being able to forgive your sins. Obviously, I can't. Just imagine for a moment, and I just say, for whatever you've done, you're forgiven. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, that feels good. But imagine it this way. Let's first list your sins. Let's go through and, and deal with the things that, that, that your pride issue and, and the issue of the lie that you told over there and, and, and this sin over here and this deceit and, and, the, and the, the wickedness in your heart here. And we go and we list them all. And then I say, see this list? I forgive you for that. You see how much more powerful that is? Just to recall your sin, not to dwell on it, but to recognize this is what the Lord is doing. 
That, that as we surrender, and in this case, sacrifice, as the Old Testament Israel was called, as we sacrifice to the Lord, he is forgiving our sins. We are in the process of, 10 days later, making atonement to the Lord. And, and so this idea of giving a sacrifice to the Lord... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the, the idea of the sacrifice is to think and recall about your sin. It, it, it's a divine remembrance, if you will. And, and so that's part of what the Old Testament starts to show us when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to the first of the year, the head of the year, as it would say in the Old Testament. Uh, the first day of the seventh month. And, and, and I thought there's some wisdom in there because God constantly wants people to know him. If you think about it, today in Frisco and in Plano and Little Elm and the Colony and McKinney and so on and so forth, every person that lives there, you, you and I included, we are all made in the image of God. And so we are image bearers who know, who know of our God. But there are many people living in Frisco and McKinney and so on and so forth who bear the image of God and do not know him. And so the idea of those who know in whose image they are made, believers who are trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, who recognize, recognize that God has made us in his image, for us to stop and remember that in the midst of busy lives is very important. For us to recall the sin that God continues to forgive is very important. And so there are helpful, helpful insights, I would say. It's not that we all have to try and practice this Jewish festival. I'm not even suggesting that you go get a trumpet or a chauffeur. But it would be important this week to stop and to remember and to think back as, as uh, you think across 2016 and whatever it meant for you. And, and I would encourage you in the quietness of your own heart to consider sins that you've struggled with. Probably not a time for your spouse to elbow you and remind you of this thing or that thing. But, but, but to stop and to think about uh, uh, some of the sin, some of the sin that, that we struggle with. And, and to think about what the forgiveness is like. That God is forgiving the sin that you have committed. And, and, and really as we get to our next time together, we will turn from looking back to looking forward to see what is yet to come. And so it's interesting that God is a God who constantly wants to get our attention. It's what he wants for the unbelievers living in our community, and it's what he wants for us as well. To get our attention, to stop, and to consider. And so for Old Testament Israel, they actually had a yearly festival in which that was to play out. And I would challenge you to think through some of these things in this next week as we consider what does God have for us for this coming year. Let's pray. Father, it's a privilege that you saw each of us through 2016 and that you have forgiven our sins as we have confessed our faith in the Savior you provided, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, is with uh, a moment of stopping and trembling that we consider you as our God and, and consider what we have done and what you have forgiven, Father.
I pray that you would give us insight, even as we move through this week, uh, to consider what is yet to come. And help us to think about uh, your goodness and your greatness in our own lives and in the lives of our families and of Marathon, our church at Stonebriar, uh, in our community, Father, the greatness that uh, you have shown us uh, even in this last year for us to stop and for us to consider. And in that, that we would turn our thoughts towards you and how great and awesome you are. We thank you for your word and its timeless truths and ask your blessing on each one's here. In God's, in Christ Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.